Fans are quick to criticize a stoppage for being too late or too fast when it comes to fight-ending sequences. There's a happy medium somewhere there that will satisfy most, and that's the sweet spot that referees try to hit. But on today's list, the refs weren't too slow or too fast, they missed it all together. We'll be exploring fights that absolutely should have been stopped at very specific points, but weren't. Now, it's not all on the officials. There are doctors in corners to blame as well, fighters too tough for their own good. But as we tell you the tale of these ten bouts, you'll see that every single one of them most certainly went on too long. Hey, before we get into it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and click the bell to turn on notifications. That way you never miss an upload. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 fights that shouldn't have been allowed to continue. A brief note before we start, there are several entries on this list where the fight continued and the person who should have been saved came back and won. And while that's great for them that they made the most of that opportunity, a brief note before we start, there are several entries on this list where the fight continued and the person who should have been saved came back and won. And while that's great for them that they made the most of that opportunity, 99 times out of 100 these fights would have been stopped by just about anyone else if they were refing that night, and thankfully they weren't, because we got the best fight. But that doesn't change the fact that the ref danced a little too close to the sun with fighter safety in these bouts. With that in mind, Here's number 10, Macy Barber versus Roxanne Modafferi. It was a clash of the future versus the past when 8-0 Zoomer Macy Barber took on MMA pioneer Roxanne Modafferi as the main event of the prelims prior to UFC 246. Barber would close as a minus 1,000 favorite, but anything can happen in a cage fight and you just can't sleep on crafty vets. The first round was surprisingly all Modafferi. After scoring a takedown, she would have nearly four minutes of top control to easily get the 10-9 from the judges. At the very start of the second, Roxy dropped Barber with a jab, but on her way down, it appeared as if something had happened to her left knee. She could be seen grimacing and reaching for it while she was falling. The round would not go her way from there. She would lose the ground battle and get busted up pretty good. She was noticeably limping on her way back to the corner, but when the doctor asked her about the obvious knee injury, Macy just kept saying, I'm fine, everything is fine. Everything, of course, was not fine. She'd completely torn her ACL, an injury that can take up to nine months to heal. Not only that, but on the unstable knee, Barbara risked causing other injuries to her MCL, her meniscus, or her LCL. Weirdly, the cage doc would sit Macy down after her time with her corner and check the knee, telling the referee that she had a slight tear in her ACL, but was good to go. Whether she tore the the rest of it in the third round, or the doctor's instant assessment was inaccurate is unknown, but things didn't get any better. In fact, she looked like she could barely function. She would lose all three rounds on all three cards. It's one thing if you're fighting for a world title and you can still compete, then maybe go ahead and keep fighting through that knee injury. It's another thing when you're 21 and on the prelims, probably should have just called it. Number 9. Scott Jorgensen versus Alejandro Perez in recent years, we've learned that fighters who take low leg kicks can often have their foot go completely numb, which can, as you imagine, cause some stability issues. You want to see it? Turn him in. It was not as well known in 2015 when the calf kick wasn't the hotness that it is today. And with that knowledge, let us now discuss the bizarre fight between former WEC UFC title contender Scott Jorgensen and Alejandro Perez at the tough Latin America 2 finale. Late in the first, Jorgensen would take a kick to his left calf that would kind of fuck his whole shit up if I may say so. He began hopping on one foot and then fell to the mat. Can you continue? Can you get to your corner? Get to your corner. Barely able to hobble over to his corner. The referee asked him if he could continue, but he and his corner were adamant that everything was totally cool. No, no, no. Got 60 seconds. You got 60 seconds. You got 60 seconds to work it out. A loss here would have seen Scott's third in a row, so the stakes were about as high as they could get. He would hobble off the stool and nearly trip and fall just touching gloves. The rest of the round looked a bit like Kevin Lee doing the chicken dance against Edson Barbosa, but just over and over again. Jorgensen was clearly compromised, and commentator Brian Stan, who I miss dearly, please come back to MMA, couldn't believe that referee Gary Copeland was letting this guy fight with essentially one leg. You gotta stop this fight. Scott's corner would be criticized after the fight when they were heard yelling, Look what you're doing without a foot! This madness would stop with 30 seconds left in the round when Jorgensen threw a kick of his own that didn't land and was forced to tap from the pain. He sustained no serious injuries, luckily, just a sprained ankle. Number 8. Raquel Pennington versus Amanda Nunes 
I mean, shit, when Matt Brown says a fight shouldn't have gone on, is there really anything else that needs to be said about it? Be out there in a pool of blood on the mats one day dead. Amanda Nunes is the greatest force that the women's bantamweight division has ever seen, and over the course of her destruction of virtually every possible contender, she's had a few fights that stand out for their brutality. The sustained beating of Felicia Spencer at UFC 250, her decimation of Ronda Rousey at UFC 207, but it's Raquel Pennington's UFC 224 title challenge that makes our list today, and particularly for what occurred following the fourth round. Now, by that time, the champ had all but sealed the deal, winning all four rounds and having really put it on Pennington. We all know Rocky is tough as hell, but a leg kick from the first round had her concerned. She had previously broken her leg and thought the kick might have re-injured it. Given how badly she was beat up in the unknown status of her leg, Raquel could be heard telling her corner prior to the fifth, quote, I'm done, I want to be done. Her coaches, however, convinced her to continue. Pennington would ultimately take their advice and return to action. She would get hit with a barrage of strikes on the ground halfway through the round before the fight was finally stopped. The corner exchange began a debate in the MMA community about the idea of going out on your shield versus knowing when it's best to cut your losses. What are the arguments in favor of that? I'm going to examine them and I'm going to show you piece by piece why all of them are not good. Once a fighter tells you, I'm done, it's gone. Yeah. Did she receive more damage after that statement? in the fifth round. Oh yeah. I actually did a pretty great essay video about the topic if you're interested. Rocky would contend that her coaches did nothing wrong and that it was the right decision. But what would anyone expect from some of the toughest people on the entire planet? Number seven, Brock Lesnar versus Shane Carwin. At what point do unanswered punches mean a fight should be stopped? How about 31 unanswered over the course of a nearly three minute period? Oh, and they're being thrown by a six foot two, 255 pound man whose hands are so massive that they had to special order gloves just to accommodate the giganticness of the boulders attached to his wrists. I picked up a pair of double uh, X UFC gloves and I have trouble getting my hands in them. That's the question a whole bunch of people were asking after UFC 116's main event. Brock Lesnar was defending his heavyweight title against Shane Carwin. The fight was huge, both in terms of the size of the combat and the box office it brought in. Lesnar had captured the sport's imagination on his insane five-fight run to the top. I'm gonna get in there and fight. And Carwin was just killing everybody he touched. 12 pro fights, 12 first-round finishes. About two minutes into the fight, Shane dropped the champ who turtled up against the cage. From there, the civil engineer would rain death from above for nearly the rest of the round, essentially going unanswered for 30-plus ground strikes, with many moments during the blitz of Lesnar just covering up his face and holding on for dear life. Referee Josh Rosenthal must have realized that Brock isn't actually human, but the immortal Norse god of suplexes and so let him continue, rather than step in at any point and call it. Something that about 99% of anybody watching would have been fine with. But Lesnar got back to his feet before the round ended, and come the start of the second, Carwin had punched himself completely out, forcing him to succumb to Brock's will via arm triangle choke at 2 minutes 19. An incredible comeback, no doubt, but one that probably shouldn't have happened if we're being honest. Speaking of, number 6, Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping. Time for one that really gets people fired up. Michael Bisbean was given the opportunity of a lifetime when he was paired with the legendary Anderson Silva at Fight Night 84 at the O2 in London back in 2016. Got him. <laughs> The Count was doing his best to score victory in the early going, winning both the first and second round on all three judges' cards, even getting a knockdown about nine minutes into the fight. It was late in the third, though, that things would take a bizarre turn. After losing his mouthpiece, Bisping began a dialogue with referee Herb Dean as the action was still ongoing, and Silva would land a devastating flying knee as a result to close out the round. Mike was dropped to the canvas instantly, and then the confusion set in. Silva had thought he won the bout, he was celebrating on the cage wall, but be it he felt it wasn't a KO, hubris, or the fact that they were talking to each other when it happened, 
happened, Dean would rule that he had not stopped the fight. Bisbean was not knocked out, and so the bout would continue. After gathering himself, Bisbean would secure the fourth round and the victory on the scorecards. Look, I don't want to take anything away from Michael Bisbean here because this is a legendary performance. It's one of the most incredible in the history of the sport. I'm not putting it on him. The fight continued, and so he went out there, showed unbelievable heart, and got the victory. But the argument that because he was able to do so proves it was the right call is simply inaccurate. There are so many situations where that exact impact and that type of falling to the canvas would mean the fight was over. If Silva had been given the victory, I don't think there would have been too many people crying foul. Number 5. Alexander Volkanovsky vs. Brian Ortega in his two featherweight title challenges, Brian Ortega has absorbed more strikes than in every other bout in his entire career combined, and both of those should have stopped earlier than they did. The first took place at UFC 231 against Max Holloway. Here, Ortega absorbed 290 significant strikes, a UFC record at the time. The bout also had the biggest strike differential at 180. Mercifully, the doctors stopped the fight following the fourth round, but in those final five minutes, T-City would be hit 141 times and only land 28 punches of his own. The fight could have certainly been stopped prior to to the doctor stepping in. Perhaps even more egregious was his UFC 266 challenge against Alexander Volkanovsky. After being outstruck by nearly double in the first two rounds, Ortega would be hit with three times as many strikes in the third and absolutely brutalized despite an incredible submission effort on his part. The challenger would nearly get finished as the round expired, needing assistance to get back to his stool. With concern about the heavy damage around his eyes as well as the potential for concussion, T-City was examined by the doctor and Herb Dean prior to the start of the fourth. It was there that the champion claims Ortega was given extra time and allowed to keep answering questions incorrectly until he got them right. Dean has defended his decision, saying that the challenger got up on his own after the team began to grab a hold of him, and that the doctor medically cleared him after he gave the correct responses, but admits that they were not clear initially. The fourth round would also be a one-sided affair, with Volkanovski spending half the round in top position and outstriking Ortega 46-14. Despite that, no stoppage was made, no towel was thrown. Unbelievably, T-City would rally in the fifth, but that doesn't mean he should have been given the opportunity to do so. In the end, this one would go the distance, with the champion retaining via unit unanimous decision. Number 4. Chris Weidman vs. Luke Rockhold Joe Rogan said it best in the very moment it was happening. What does it take to stop a fight? Well, apparently, whatever it is, it wasn't enough at the end of the third round between Luke Rockhold and middleweight champion Chris Weidman at UFC 194. The champ found himself in the worst kind of trouble late in the third, the kind created by ill-timed spinning shit. With a missed wheel kick, Rockhold was able to secure a takedown and get Weidman's back. From there, with 70 seconds left in the round, Luke would gain full mount and would remain there until the horn sounded. 75 punches and elbows to the champion's face would be thrown, 55 of them would land, and and it was absolutely brutal. Weidman was a complete mess following the barrage. It was almost comically ridiculous to watch someone take that many punches without any sort of real defense and nothing happened. It was like a video game had glitched or something. Several of the shots would bounce Chris's head off the canvas even. Justin's head clatters off that canvas. But the round would end with Herb Dean watching the action closely as Rockhold continued to unload on the champ. Weidman was all kinds of busted open following the round. He could barely keep himself standing, but the fight would go on. Luckily, Dean wasn't too keen on Chris taking that kind of punishment in the fourth, and once the ground and pound really started getting going, he stopped the fight. That said, the last 3 minutes and 12 seconds of that middleweight title bout really didn't need to happen. Number 3. Max Holloway vs. Calvin Cater Remember how I talked about Brian Ortega's beatdown by Max Holloway setting both the biggest strike differential all-time record and earning the top spot for most significant strikes landed? Yeah, so Max Holloway shattered both of those records when he fought Calvin Cater at UFC on ABC. 445 significant strikes landed. That is 150 more than the Ortega bout, which now sits at second place. The strike differential, I hope you're sitting down, 312. The record was 180. What the hell happened here? Well, as you can imagine, this one was essentially pure striking. There were two takedown attempts all fight. Neither were successful. Nobody went to the ground 
ground. There was virtually no control time. And I know what you're thinking, Tommy, so you're telling me there wasn't even a knockdown? Why should this fight have been stopped? Stupid! The sheer volume of strikes landed by Holloway versus the little offense that Cater was able to produce should have meant that Herb Dean, a doctor, or Cater's team should have most definitely called this before Max was so in control of the fight that he could have a conversation with the commentary team while looking at them and dodging all Calvin's offense before returning shots. The fight didn't even make sense. It was like Holloway was on another plane of existence. In the first round, he landed double the significant strikes. In the second, 89 to Cater's 20. The third, 75 to Calvin's 29. And then in the fourth round, at an accuracy of 73%, Holloway hit Cater with 141 significant strikes while Calvin only landed 34. How anybody thought there should be a fifth round, I have no idea, but there was, and it was just as bad as the second and third. It was abundantly clear before that round started, there was absolutely no chance of a victory for Cater. The final tally on this one, 50-43, 50-43, and 50-42 for the former featherweight champion. Yikes. Number two, Glover Teixeira versus Anthony Smith. When the entire commentary team, who are specifically there to keep you interested in the fight, are talking about how the bout needs to end for the last two rounds of it, you know that somebody took way more of a beating than they needed to, and that was absolutely the case when Anthony Smith took on Glover Teixeira at Fight Night 171. In the third round, Smith would get dropped with one of those shots that just completely face plants a guy. Not usually a good indicator the rest of the fight is going to go well. And while there were several moments in the third that referee Jason Herzog could have stepped in and stopped the fight, where not a soul would have faulted him, the bout would nonetheless continue into the fourth, and that's where things just got ugly. Glover would land 32 significant strikes, and damn were they significant. Anthony Smith looked like a completely different person. His face was a canvas of violence. He seriously looked bad, but things were even worse than we thought, as he very audibly told his corner following the round, my teeth are falling out. Not a thing was said in response to that. It was, hey, go out there and get that win. As you can imagine, he did not. In fact, he would not land a single strike the entire fifth round that mercifully ended about a minute in. Afterwards, Dana White, the media, and fans all threw some serious heat at Herzog and Smith's corner. Lionheart was quick to defend his team, though, saying he would fire anyone who threw the towel in ever and that he would rather die. Oh, he also called Jason Herzog a coward for apologizing for the situation. Damn, man, sorry for caring about your well-being. Number one, Neil Magny versus Hector Lombard. I guess on this particular day in this particular fight, referee Steve Percival simply chose violence. If you've not watched Hector Lombard versus Neil Magny or you don't remember it, go back and watch it because it's just baffling and needs to be experienced. You could make an argument in the first round that Lombard should have been given the victory. Early on, he scored a knockdown and was just putting it on Magny. He would land 40 of 48 ground strikes and Neil wasn't doing a ton to defend himself. He even face-planted after an attempt at getting up, but at the very least, he was in a few positions that were defensible. What happened in the second round is just beyond explanation. After more early success for Hector, Magny would lock the former Bellator champion into a triangle that would end with him getting in the mount against what appeared to be a not entirely there Lombard. For about 15 seconds, Neil would rain down shots before flattening out Hector, and for the remainder of the 80 seconds of this round, just batter Lombard from the top. He was not defending himself in any intelligent way, not improving position. This was just a sustained beatdown that everyone, the commentary team and Magny, were simply baffled by. The entire sequence would see nearly 90 punches landed without anything coming back the other way. The horn would sound, though, and a confused Magny would head to his corner. It was clear at the start of the third that Hector was not there at all. He was basically out on his feet, and mercifully, Percival wouldn't let the action go but 45 more seconds, about two minutes too late. A massive shout-out to the massively talented Thaddeus who edited this one together. Go follow him on Twitter and IG at ThaddeusM. Check out his SoundCloud, too. All right, that's all I got for you. Thanks for watching. Please like, subscribe, and have a wonderful day.